first scripture reading tonight comes to us from the prophet Joel. Be reading from the second chapter, verses 1 to 2, and then 12 to 17. Let's listen for God's word for us here tonight. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. Indeed, it is near. Yet even now, says the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and relents from punishing. Who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sanctify a fast. Call a solemn assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the aged. Gather the children, even infants at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her canopy. And between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your heritage a mockery, a byword among the nations. Why should it be said among the peoples, where is their God? Second reading is from Matthew's Gospel in the sixth chapter. First verses 1 through 6, and then 16 to 21. Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Whenever you give alms, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you give alms, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your alms may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And whenever you fast, do not look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so that your fasting may be seen not by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. May God add a blessing to the reading and hearing of this word. I've recently been reading a book called Parenting, Getting It Right. Whitney and I are expecting any minute now our fourth son, and so I figured 
Baby number four comes along, it's probably about time to crack one of those parenting books. <laughs> the book is focused, though, on putting relationships first as a parent. Not, not success in life, not independence, not, not behavior, but relationships. And last night I was reading the chapter about discipline and consequences, about what to do when your child does something wrong. And I couldn't help but think of tonight's scripture passage, particularly the one from, from Joel. Of course, children do wrong. Maybe it's to a sibling or a friend. Maybe it's to their parents or to their teacher. The point the book makes is that correcting the behavior is necessary, but it's secondary to reconnecting what has been broken by their behavior. See, see when someone does wrong, they, they break a relationship. And correcting is less important than connecting. But most importantly, punishing behavior after the fact should not be about payback. One son takes a beloved teddy bear, the other chases him down and tackles him. Both are out of control, both are acting a fool. Both need some consequences, some discipline. But, but making him suffer because of what he suffered, where does this lead? More suffering, more anger. And the question the parent has to ask is, is this good for the relationship. See, it's easy to respond and react to bad behavior when we see it. We can see it. It's right there in front of us, and so we react right away. But the important thing is not what we see. It is that invisible relationship. What we do not see, that is what is most precious and what most needs our attention and our restoration. The day of the Lord is near, the prophet Joel said. Sound the alarm. Get out the trumpets. Let all the people of Israel tremble. These chosen children of God have misbehaved. And the Lord has noticed. And now the people are being given a chance. A chance to save themselves from the punishment that is surely coming. To instead return to the Lord. Repent is another way of saying that. Return to God. But another way of saying it is that the people are being called to restore their relationship with God. I think that's the best way of thinking about what's happening here. You see, it's not their public acts of contrition. It's not any sacrifice they may make or offer to God that will accomplish this restoration. They cannot pay back what they have taken from God. No, the prophet says, rend your hearts, not your clothes. And this is the point I think that Jesus picks up on in his Sermon on the Mount. He taught anyone with ears to hear that true repentance, true contrition, true restoration is secret. It's not some outward display, but Rather, an inward turning away, turning back towards the relationship between us and our Creator. There are no shouts, 
no trumpets required, no public display of godly behavior will pay back what has estranged the people from God. Instead, focusing first on behavior misses where the treasure truly lies. It's not in some faraway heaven, but it's in the kingdom of God that is between and among us. The treasure stored up in our hearts, in the kinship of God to humankind, which Jesus himself embodied in his very person. When we turn back towards this relationship, when we recognize a heavenly parent who is, in the words of the prophet, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love, something changes in us for the better. Jesus called that the kingdom of heaven, called it the life abundant. Someone here called it the life of all life. It's like, have you ever uh, slept awkwardly on your side and woken up the next day, unable to, to get your head to go that one direction? You know what I'm talking about. I can't be the only one. Well, I think waking up on the day of the Lord is a bit like that. You see, we sleepwalk through most of our life at our own peril because the world is not ergonomically correct. The world puts a crick in our neck when we are not paying attention. And the moment when we recognize that, we we recognize that we cannot quite turn back. We see how painful it can be to live without that relationship to our creator, to our savior, to our hope, to that life of all life. But eventually, we get used to it. We get used to not seeing what's over there. We adapt to the pain. The human body is a resilient and amazing thing. But after all, the human body is just dust. Thankfully, the Lenten season comes along each year, and we hear these words of the prophet each year, this wake-up call to return to God. And while Lent is thought of as a time of suffering, a time when we suffer because Christ suffered. It's not about that. It's about the fact that trying to unkink your neck hurts. Stretching, straining against those stiffened muscles and ligaments hurts. And doing it is an act of will and patience. But that is what the Lenten season is about. You see, we hurt, we wrong, we hate, we fear. We are biologically bred creatures of carbon, air, and water, and are attended by all the hungers and angers and dangers that come with this human reality in which we find ourselves. We were all born, we will all die, and in the midst of this life we try and try and try to just wring some meaning out of life, twisting ourselves into contortions in this process. It's funny because that's the image. That's, That's what Martin Luther said sin was. He had this phrase, incurvatus in se, curved in, 
on oneself. That is what it means to be a sinner. It's what we confessed just a few moments ago. But today we heard God's call to unwind, to turn back, to loosen our fierce grip upon the life we believe we have to master and instead listen to the master of life who teaches us to pray in secret, to pray during these days of Lent, this time of trial. Jesus taught his disciples to pray when they asked him to do so. He taught them the prayer we pray called the Lord's Prayer. And one of my favorite lines in this, not just because it's quite adorable when my four-year-old says it, is lead us not into temptation. If you pray this prayer on a daily basis, know that what you are asking of God is most literally rendered, do not lead us into a time of trial. But on this day, on Ash Wednesday, perhaps we pray just the opposite. Because it is hard to do what Jesus tells us to do, to make the attempt to try It is hard to turn outward toward the other in humility, without regard for our own appearances, without regard for how it looks to other people. Of course, I want more than anything to be the parent to children who behave well in public so everyone can see that. It's wonderful feeling. But it really is not as important. It's not as important of that relationship. And so, if I'm focused too much just on how they behave, on how we appear to be, something will be missing. To unkink our spiritual necks, we have to enter into this time of trial, a time of attempting and straining, perhaps a little bit at first, and then perhaps more as as we loosen up. In this season, we recognize that life as it is typically lived in our day and age is not the life Christ calls us to. We are certainly not called to be humble and not draw attention to ourselves in the age of social media. Yet Christ directs us inwardly because Christ knew that an inward change reshapes our outward being, the way we are towards others. In his teaching, Jesus took for granted that we knew what we had to do. He knew that we will be generous. He knew we would do that. He knew that we would be spiritual, that we would pray and fast. He takes for granted that people will strive after great treasures. But perhaps even these things are not a given in your life. Well, Lent offers a season for trying Maybe just starting with one. Generosity is a really good place to start. But if these are things that, that are a given in your life, if you, if you pray, if you are generous, if you are trying to live a life after Jesus, then Lent is still a time for trying. It's a time to stretch yourself, to try and build in a new direction towards God, towards neighbor. 
In a moment, you'll be invited to come forward and be marked with ashes, a reminder of our deep humanity. But those ashes are not just smeared across your face, no. You'll be marked by the sign of the cross, which is, of course, a symbol of a time of trial that Jesus did not avoid. He chose that time of trial. Yes, we will remember that we are dust, and we shall return to the dust. And many folks think this is a doleful and somber ritual, but it is actually quite far from that. For Jesus entered the time of trial to come out of it in even greater glory that he in turn shared, not just with us, but with the whole world. Yes, we are dust, but have you seen what dust can do when God gets a hold of it? And so I encourage you in this Lenten season to let God get to work on you, maybe to loosen up those shoulders so that your head can start to turn just a little more. Allow the Spirit of God to loosen up those tense parts of your being that have curved in on themselves so that you may in turn turn outward, or at least, at least try. And if that trying becomes a real trial, the kind you pray to be delivered from, that kind of trial, just remember and be assured that the results are already in. The verdict has already been decided. The test has already been passed. For Christ indeed delivers us from a time of trial. And thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.